You know, our, our king went to a cross. He had a challenge that he had to overcome for our sakes. He didn't go to the cross for himself. He went there for you and me. It is my heartfelt conviction that for the past 2,000 years, a world has been trying to get us to undermine the authority of the cross. The reality of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on that cross. The world is doing its best effort. In some countries, I believe, Satan has designed a strategy of pure fear. We look at Iraq. We know Christians have been over the last uh, six months beheaded for their faith. It's something we don't have to worry about today here in America. You go to Amman, Jordan. It's a different challenge there. Still in the Middle East. But there are Orthodox churches and Catholic churches. And people have a challenge. Is that the true faith? They're allowed to worship what they're allowed to worship. But under the threat of, from time to time, Islamic terrorism. You can go to Egypt. And in Egypt, you're allowed to be a Christian. You just can't get converted from Islam to Christianity. In Egypt, you can't witness, you can't tell anyone about Jesus Christ. You can't preach the gospel there. And if you do, immediately there is a, a set of people called the religious police that will come and put you in jail as soon as you try to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're intolerant there. And the law is not changing anytime soon. But here in America, our challenge is a little bit different. I believe the enemy has been using distractions for the past couple of hundred years. And not only distractions, but false truth. In order to get us to doubt the credibility of the scriptures, which somehow undermines the effectiveness of the cross in your lives. You have to ask yourself, is what God's word says the truth? And that's my hope here. My mom grew up in a, a small city in West Virginia called Beckley. And her parents went through a lot of stuff, but she at least grew up seeing my grandparents attend church. And it had a profound effect on her. Eventually, she started attending church, and she grew in her faith when she did one thing. She started taking these classes called precept classes. She got into the Word. And because she devoted herself to the Scripture, her life was transformed. You hear us often talk about, hey, paying your tithes and offerings here at church. Every church is saying that. But it's our hope to tell you, get into God's word. Open it up. Read it for yourself. Get a translation you can understand. Ask questions. Value God's word in your life. I've never seen one human being, never, that dedicated themselves to God's word who did not change. Whether they played NFL football were owners of a team, played NBA basketball, 
were in elementary school, high school, whether they were in the Marines or whether they were in politics. I've never seen one human being who was not challenged and transformed by the scriptures of God. But the challenge is, do you trust what is written? Do you trust that our king literally went on a cross and died? Do, sometimes I wrestle, do I have to do apologetics and defend the historical accuracy of the cross? That actually Jesus died, literally, and went to a grave, and his grave now is empty. And we can go right now to Israel and see that grave empty. Will that help encourage your faith or trust in the scriptures? But there were people there during that time who did the same thing. They went to the grave. They searched for the body of Christ and could not find it. And the very people who at one time denied him eventually put their faith in him. That is impossible because they died for that faith. Why would they die for something that was not true unless they believed it was true? God sent his son to die for you. It's a historical reality. Any science will tell you if the scriptures are correct, then that man did raise to life the man named Jesus. And what makes our faith different than every other faith on the planet is that our Savior, our Lord, the beginning and end of our faith is no longer in the grave, but he is living and we believe he's coming back one day soon. But before his great victory over sin, death, and hell, he went to the cross and suffered. How many people, this is not a rhetorical question, saw the movie The Passion of Christ? It's okay. Even if you didn't see it, you're still saved. It's okay. <laughs> I remember after I watched The Passion of Christ, getting up at the end saying, Hallelujah! I can't believe Hollywood made a movie like this. It was amazing. Now, I watch half the movie like this. I'm not dabbing. I'm actually like covering my eyes because it was horrific. He was beaten and bruised and battered. Thankfully, Mel Gibson made it where they had cutaway scenes where it flashed back to the past or his mom because if I just sat there for an hour and a half worth of torture, I would have been like, I got to get out of here. Last week, I talked about embarrassing things. This week, I don't like when people get hurt. When I talked about earlier that my son was choking, I was helpless. I didn't even know. I didn't even think about doing a homelet to get the Lego out. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Get, I put my hand. I tried to sweep the mouth. There was nothing I could do. When, look at, when I look at Jesus on the cross, there's nothing that I could do. It's a reality I have to accept that my behavior put him there. My failures, my faults. And that's the part I believe our society is trying to undermine. Our behavior was and is bad. And we can't be good enough. There isn't 51% of the things you could do in your life that's good and the 49 bad and then you go to heaven. There isn't 99% of the things you could do good and then 1% bad and you go to heaven. We go to heaven because he was good, he was righteous, because he died, because he went to the grave, and because he rose from the dead. He was strong enough for us all to complete the task we couldn't. I used to be able to bench press stuff, but I can't bench press sin. I struggle with 135. How can I bench press sin? 
I'll try to squat. My ligaments give way. Oh, I'm weak now. But I've always been weak. Regardless of how fast, how strong, how smart we are, we can't lift sin off of us because it's intrinsic to our DNA. It's in our very nature. And the only way we can be free of sin is to be born again, Jesus says. But our new birth comes from our placing our trust in God and receiving God's gift to the Holy Spirit. What are we to do with the cross of Christ today? Rejoice. Our king is victorious. He conquered the greatest test imaginable. And I'm going to make a proposition today. I don't think Jesus so much was afraid to be tortured. I don't think he was so much afraid to be beaten the way he was beaten. Cattle nine tails with spikes or bones on the ends of them that ripped into his flesh. I don't think that was his ultimate fear or concern. Say Jesus is fear, concern. Thank you, Lord, for fixing my grammar and language. I believe ultimately Jesus' concern was much deeper than we can ever imagine. And it's my hope today to communicate what I believe Jesus Christ ultimate concern was when he went to the cross I don't think he was concerned in the garden about going to the cross or or his disciples leaving he knew all that stuff was going to happen have you ever read the book Jesus Freaks or Fox Books of the Martyrs where people have given their lives to Christ and rejoiced as they were suffering we have empirical data that there were people being burnt with fire clapping now I'm not saying I'm man enough to clap while I'm being burnt or I'm strong enough, or I'm smart enough, or I'm devoted enough, but I know through God's spirit and his grace, I can do all things. But Jesus Christ had God's spirit without measure, but why was he so stressed in the garden that he was sweating great drops of blood? Hemohydrosis, it's a condition where your capillaries burst and go into your sweat glands, and you literally sweat blood he was that stressed but I'm going to make a proposition it wasn't because of the cross it wasn't because of the beating it wasn't because of the loneliness that his disciples leaving him it's something much deeper we're going to address that today Jesus Christ's true suffering was much deeper than you can ever imagine have you ever considered suffering for God very difficult subject last week we had a great conversation in small group about our feelings in obeying God being embarrassed and then still trusting God's word it was really uh, I could say intense conversation some people were like man I'm, yeah you we can talk about that now it sounds good but the reality of it is and that's so honest I'd love to tell you today, you know what? I believe in God, and I don't care what they tell me or what they threaten me with. I'm going to be faithful until the end. And then let somebody come in with guns right now saying, renounce Jesus or die. I hope I'm not this dude, <laughs> but I may be the first guy. <laughs> I'm just like, maybe, I don't know. My hope is I'd never run. That I stand for Jesus Christ regardless of the consequences. I've managed my thoughts up to this point saying that if it came time for me to suffer, not just die, but suffer for Jesus, I would do it because he loves me. 
That's why I pray and I read my scripture so that during times of testing, I can stand. This week when my little boy swallowed a Lego, as a husband, I was failing. I started defending myself and arguing. I couldn't even pass that little test of Lego. So how do I think I'll be able to stand when it comes time to stand up for Jesus Christ? I don't know. But I trust God's grace that during those times, he'll strengthen my heart to stand for Jesus during the storm. But God expects us to stand. He requires us to stand. He requires us to be faithful. I like the way my voice sounds. Regardless of the consequence. I wish my voice was like this for real life. He, regardless of how bad it gets, God wants us to be faithful. Can you be faithful to God? I got a quote from a man named John G. Lake, famous evangelist and healing minister. He said this. He said, men have said that the cross of Christ was not a heroic thing. But I want to tell you that the cross of Jesus Christ has put more heroism in the souls of men than any other event in human history. If you can't open your Bible to Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 41. I ask this question, and you can ask yourself this question every day. Do you trust God? Does anyone know? The Bible says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament show forth his handiwork. Day into day, the other speech. Night into night, the other mouth. There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard. The Bible says the very heavens give God glory and communicate his glory on a daily basis. The Bible is true. I take it as true. But I have a challenge believing that. Maybe it was because of evolutionary teaching. Maybe it was because of the Big Bang teaching. But I trust God's word now. And where there's areas of weakness in my faith, I spend my time trying to build up those areas so I can stand in faith and preach boldly so that I can get glory. I don't want people to come to this church and see that I'm timid about God's word, but I stand on God's word because I want you to believe in God's word more than anything I could possibly say. My hope is to keep pushing you toward God's word and keep pushing you toward God so that when your time of testing comes, you can stand because if you stand for Jesus during times of testing you are giving him glory stand for Jesus the heavens declare the glory of God do you know we are on a ball of water wait, wait a minute currently the earth is as currently constituted a ball of water. And we are spinning. Does anyone know how fast we're spinning? 1,000 miles an hour. <laughs> I said about. <laughs> That's, hey, we'll, we'll debate later. Those falsified facts. <laughs> 1,000. We are spinning right now. Our rotation is we are actually spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. We are on a ball of water, and we're spinning at 1,000. Does anybody know we are circling a ball of fire? We're on a ball of water, spinning 1,000 miles an hour, circling a ball of water. And you know how fast we're going around the sun? Say it again. Go ahead. It's okay. We're doing it 67,000 miles an hour. Wait, wait, wait. We are 
on a ball of water, spinning at a thousand miles an hour, and we're going as we're spinning a thousand miles an hour around the sun at sixty-seven thousand miles an hour. This is for dramatic effect. <laughs> Do you know that the sun is moving in the Milky Way galaxy? Do you know the sun is spinning? No, the sun is moving around in the Milky Way galaxy. Do you know how fast? Everybody has a goo. 470,000 miles an hour. And they say it's an accident. We're spinning, guys. We're on a ball of water. We're around a ball of fire hurling through the universe. And God's trying to tell you he's in control. I mean, it's so ridiculous, but we've been bombarded by our culture to doubt everything about God. God loves us. You understand how much he has prepared for you for all eternity. He sent his very best to die for you. You are going to be a kingdom of priests for eternity. He's taking you through these tests and trials because you're being groomed to lead. But all of our inheritance comes from us trusting in this event right here. Mark chapter 15, verse 21 says, Then they compelled a certain man named Simon the Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country passing by. Now I've got to go back again. We talked about John, the first witness or gospel testimony about Jesus Christ going to the cross. And John had Jesus' accusation written as what? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And we kind of played with that. And we know it says God saves the separated. He's the king of those only passing through life. We went last week to which gospel? Matthew. And Matthew said what? This is the king of the Jews. Matthew saying, X marks the spot. This is the one. And all of the Jewish people are like, this can't be the one. He went to the cross and died. That's embarrassing. That's shameful. And he went to the cross for us. This week, it says something a little bit different. So now we see this historical fact in verse 21. And 22, and they brought him, Jesus, to a place called Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. We see a geographical fact here. In verse 23, it says, then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. They give us a biological fact here to show that he's still alive before he got on the cross. In verse 24, it says, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take, and they're giving us prophetic fact right here. 
Let's go on to verse 25. Now, actually, I skipped 25 on my notes, so I apologize. I'm not a false teacher. I apologize. You can go right now to your Bible. It says, this is the accusation that was placed above the head of Jesus Christ. And then it says here in 26, the king of the Jews. And I'm trying to tell you, if you have a trouble with any of these accusations, this will be the one. We'll conclude next week, but this would be the one you have trouble with. I'll throw you a little hint. Mark skips through his gospel. It's almost like he, Jesus was alive and went through one week of life and it was dead and then was resurrected. There's a word that occurs over 41 times in Mark and it's called immediately. Every time you read Mark, it's always saying immediately he did this. Immediately, it's almost like Jesus was alive for a week and it was, he was gone. Mark cut out a lot of the details. Trying to bias, but I'm trying to tell you the truth. Verse 27. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Prophetic fact there again. And 29, and those who passed by blaspheming and wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. And 31. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others. Himself he can't save. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, what? My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? Take a pause right there. If you trust God's word is true, or if you're the type of person that says, you know, I want to believe it's true. I don't care what historical argument you have. This one would have been the one that would have caught me up. Jesus Christ fulfilling God's will to a T. And then him crying out these words, why have you forsaken me? Notice we didn't get this when he was suffering. We didn't get this when he was being beat. We didn't get this when he was being tortured. We didn't get this when he was being forsaken by his disciples. We got this when he's on the cross. He's like, God, why have you left me? He's completely vulnerable, completely nude, completely helpless. And at the moment of his greatest need, he says what? Why have you forsaken me? We'll come back to that. In verse 35, it says, Some of those who stood by, when they heard that, look, they said, he's calling for Elijah. They're misunderstanding what he's saying. Then some ran and filled a sponge of, of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. So they're saying, You know what? If he's the Messiah, let Elijah come and take him down. And then we'll trust his words. We'll believe that he is the son of God. Verse 37, it says, And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Really interesting point here. It was torn how? From top to bottom. The veil is over 15 feet high. This is a historical fact that people can come and refute if it was a lie. But also what's interesting is this veil is four inches thick. Signifying what? That God ripped the veil. 
39. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was a son of God. There were also women looking from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Lesson, Josie of Solomon, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee. And many, many other women also came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, if I was a bad man, I'd skip over this. Now, if the disciples were bad guys, they wouldn't put this point in here. But this point is so important. Because you notice who wasn't at the cross? His disciples. Not one of them, according to Mark. But who were there? The women. He's, they're, they're making, in this culture, they're making themselves look bad. But they're doing, not, they're doing that not in a sense for shame. They're trying to say, this is historically accurate. When the bullets were flying, the disciples were. And who stayed? The women. They're, Peter, the rock. Where are you, bro? Big man. Tough guy. The women stayed. And anybody who's reading that during that day and time would be like, God, these women are, I mean, these men are sorry. They're scary. This brought shame to them. But they're willing to put their shame out there for historical credibility. This is what happened. When the bullets started flying, I was scared. But those women stayed. This is the truth. I'm willing to tell the truth even at the sake of making myself look bad. Let God get the glory. All right, let's get a couple of points and we'll get out of here this morning. What do you need to know? Jesus' communion with the Father was severed for the first time in all of history. This is the point I've been trying to build up to the entire time. I don't think Jesus was worried about being tortured per se. He was concerned. I don't think he was worried about his disciples leaving him. I think this fact was so detrimental to his soul that he wrestled with the reality of it. I have to be separated from the Father for the first time in all of history. Remember, God's eternal. If you ever went street preaching, that's usually the first question that people ask you. Well, if God was here from the beginning, who was here before God? And what can you say? Well, God. Because he's eternal. He's always been. Our brains break down at that reality. How could God always be here? We can't comprehend that. The truth is too big for our minds. We're finite. But we have to trust that God is true and let every man be a liar. God has been here from the beginning. And God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, have been in communion from eternity past. And now this one point, I believe Jesus' greatest concern happens. He's separated because of our sins from the Father. I believe that's what Jesus did not want to go through. I think he's like, I can take the pain, but I can't take being without your presence. I can't take not communing with you, God. That's what Jesus' greatest passion was in life to be obedient with the father to be one with god and even that 
may not be your current desire. As you grow in God, may you be like Paul. Oh, that I may know him. Oh, I love saying this. Paul, who had been to the third heaven, who had seen things he can't even articulate, said, my greatest desire in life is that I know God. That word know means intimate with God. And Jesus like, Lord, let this cup pass. If there's any way, let this cup go away. God's like, there's no other way. And that's why on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Other people try to say he was reading out a psalm. He was remembering Psalms 22, which says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that's not what the scriptures say. Jesus separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice at that moment. Jesus was separated from the one he loved. He was emotionally connected, spiritually connected. And God poured all the sins of humanity on him. And God had to disconnect from Christ for a time on the cross. There's a lot of theological ramification there. There are a lot of denominations that have been built based upon this teaching right here. But I'll just say this. We know for sure God had to distance himself from Jesus because of sin. Why do we need to know that? So you can appreciate the, the price Jesus paid for your sins. I love to say, man, there's described in detail all these tortures that Jesus went through in the scriptures. But that's not in the scriptures. No, none of you could go to your Bible and see all these different torture methods that he went through. It's not there. We don't have it in the text. But what we do have is the fact that he was already beat up going to the cross. And then on the cross, the first time we see him cry out for his own sake. Why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus' greatest concern. Being separated from God. Is it your concern? And I like to say, think this through. Jesus was more concerned about this than all these other scenarios. We are all born separated from God. And Jesus is like, that's the one thing I don't want to be. Not even for a moment. I pray you have a desire this morning to get closer to God, to experience the joy Jesus Christ has with being connected with the Father. Bless you. So what do we need to do? We need to rejoice in the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Rejoice. Now, I'm an emotional introvert. I'm just trying to be as honest as I humanly can. I don't like standing in front of people and talking. This is something God asked me to do, and I'm like, okay, do I really have a choice? You're like, no, so I do it. So what I do is when I'm at home, I'm learning from Zay, I practice embarrassing myself so I'm comfortable embarrassing myself in public. Zay said he wore a, uh, what was it, a Lifesavers outfit to church, to, to, to school, to get people to get used to people ridiculing him. I'm like, oh, my, that's, that's the wisdom of the Lord. 
So I can't, I'm not that brave yet, so I'm doing it by myself, but it's still tough. But have you rejoiced in God? I mean, have you ever, re- I mean, emotionally, have you let yourself go there? Have you let yourself be emotionally vulnerable to God? But my wife and I, we get in the debate. I don't want to be emotionally connected with her at that moment. I'm hurt. I want to go in my room and get by myself and sulk. It's not right. This is what I want to do. But in Christ, I can't be there long. I have to make myself emotionally vulnerable to her again because we're one. In God, as a Christian, I can't emotionally distance myself from other believers. Jesus said the world will know us because the way we love one another. I don't want to get hurt, so I distance myself. See, for God, one thing that gives him honor, respect, and glory is when we emotionally rejoice in him. King David said like this, I was dancing. I don't even like to dance, so this is like embarrassing right now. I'll go home and like go behind the, this is a, a but I, I, see, put your head down in shame because I'm ashamed for myself right now. But he's like, I made myself embarrassed in my own eyes for God. He was dancing so much. His, my clothes won't fall off. I got stuff on. He danced so much, his garments fell off. He said, I'll do it for God. He was an emotional man invested in God. And when you take that type of investment in God, your desire for him will be cemented do you trust God I'm not saying that you will want to do it I have to pray to God to give me the strength to do it and even when I did which was not much had me sweating already so I still need work but there's reason to rejoice in God because of his sacrifice we have eternal life why do we do this why do we rejoice so we can properly evaluate Jesus' sacrifice Jesus Christ became sin Jesus Christ was humiliated Jesus Christ was tortured so that we can rejoice that God kept his word he came through for us And all we have to do is communicate his truth to the world. Lift up Jesus Christ and other people can rejoice too. And when they rejoice, we can have confidence and assurance that one day in heaven we'll smile back at this time and say, man, God did it. He was so good. Do you trust God today? All right. As we conclude, based upon these truths, how should we live? How should we live? We have to understand this. Jesus' greatest fear or concern was to be where we are born into. We're born into sin, the Bible says, Psalms 51, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. We're all born separated from God. And Jesus is like, that's the worst case scenario. Get close to me. 
Whatever you have to go through, trust me. Whatever you have to sacrifice, give it to me. Don't stop. There is blessing at the end of this road. You may say, man, this is too good to be true. It is. But it's truth anyway. You have a God who created all things and did it well. Not only that, but he, he gave his best. He gave it all. And now, he's sitting out there saying, come on home. It's finished. The Bible says we don't have much time left. Now, we may live another 200 years. I don't know. Not us personally, but I mean the, the culture. 500 years. Maybe, if, I don't know, but it could end tomorrow. The Bible says no man knows the day or time. The question is, are you willing to commit wholeheartedly to the king who conquered the cross today? If you've been half-hearted, lukewarm in your walk with God, why? I'm not saying give up your job. Keep working. There are other people that need to see Jesus Christ in your life. I'm not saying stop working out. Keep working out. Keep your body in shape. You need that shape to do God's will on earth. I'm not saying stop making friends. Keep going out into the world. Make as many new friends as possible because every one of us needs to know one thing. God is trustworthy. And you can rejoice in that. Remember, Jesus suffered for you. Just for you. If you were the only person on the earth, if you say right now, man, I don't care much about him, he still suffered for you. Romans 5, 8, when we were his enemy, he died for us. When we were hostile toward him, when we didn't like him, when we hated him, he still died for us. You don't have to be right to accept this as truth. You just got to humble yourself and accept it as true because it is. You may go home this evening and watch Daredevil on Netflix. You may watch Batman versus Superman in a couple of weeks. You may forget everything I'm saying. The Vikings may win the Super Bowl next year. They may. The Packers may not even make the playoffs and we may rejoice. <laughs> Your family may come together next week. Old wounds may be healed next week. God may change your heart next week. But today, have you committed your heart to the king of kings? You know, our president has secret service. No one gets to the president. He has people who are trained. I saw a video on Facebook where a limousine was going backwards, like 100 miles an hour, literally hitting curves backwards. I mean, curves, bulletproof car. No one's going to get to the president. And it doesn't matter who the next president is. No one's getting to that president either. We have learned our lesson as a culture. But our king made himself vulnerable for us all. 
He said, have your way with me. And humanity killed him. But whether humanity knew it or not, that was his plan. To die so that you could live forever. He didn't fail. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this time communicating your word. I ask you, Father God, to help it go deep down in good soil. And I pray, Father God, it produces a harvest a hundredfold. I pray, Father God, that your word says one waters, one plants. God, you give the increase. So, Lord God, I don't know if I'm planting or watering, Lord God, but I trust you to give the increase. Help us not be the same. Move by your spirit. Cover us. Clothe us. Empower us to do your will here in Brooklyn Park, in Minnesota, in the United States. Lord God, help there be a movement of making disciples who trust you regardless of the consequences. Help us devote ourselves to you, Father God. And as we seek your kingdom, Lord God, your word says that all these other things shall be added. So, Lord God, we love you for you, Lord God, but we trust that you'll provide for us, that you'll take care of us, that you'll heal us, that you'll comfort us, Father God, that you'll encourage us, that you'll make a way, Lord God. And as you do that, Lord God, we'll make sure to point back to you, give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. While all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there's someone here today that you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've not accepted the sacrifice of our King, if you're here today and you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to have a surety that you have eternal life, while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I ask you to raise your hand really quickly and put it down and we'll pray for you. Is there one today you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is there anyone here today that you've, you've previously accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, but you walked away? The Bible says the cares of this world choked out the seed, planted a good ground because it was planted near thorns. If you're here today and your desire for Jesus Christ has dwindled, if you're caught in a cycle of guilt, you want to get back to Jesus, while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just lift your head, your hands really briefly, and we'll pray for you. Is there anyone here today who wants restoration with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords? Amen. Well, if you look to my right and to my left, there are two men here who will pray for you. And also, a doja, you come up here. And if you're a young lady or you want a lady to pray for you, we have doja here. If there's someone here today that you need prayer for anything, physical or mental or spiritual or financial. If you need help today, if you need prayer, they come up for prayer after service. We're going to try to leave this altar open for you. If you need to have a conversation with Jesus, this is your time. We're going to keep the music playing. We're going to have an atmosphere in here of worship and praise. You want God to do a work in your heart? Let him do the work here. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be released. We're going to have vittles at the for your area to my left. As I pray, I want you to go and do the work of the ministry. Church isn't over when service ends. Church is over when you hear these words from Jesus. Well done.
Father God, we ask you today, Lord God, to move on everyone here. We pray, Lord God, we're empowered by your Holy Spirit. Change the world for your Son. Get glory out of us today. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.